Okay. Um, okay, so it's our first ever podcast. Uh, we've got a brilliant guest I'm really excited to meet today. It's Dr. Sabine Little. Um, hi, Sabine. It's great to meet you. Would you like to say hello to our listeners and tell us a bit about yourself, please? Sure. Thanks for having me, Helen. My name's Sabina Little. I'm a lecturer in languages education at the University of Sheffield with a special interest in multilingualism and especially multilingualism as a social justice issue. So I'm interested in supporting families and schools to view multilingualism as a skill set rather than from a deficit perspective and helping teachers build on pupils' multilingualism as a way to learn. So rather than expecting them to essentially learn with one hand tied behind their backs, to, to give them the opportunity to use their home languages to access the curriculum and embed them in as part of the whole learning experience, really. Brilliant. Yeah, um, I've had a look at some of your research. I've been looking at the project you developed with um, Dr. Rebecca Murray, uh, Lost Worlds. Um, you've talked about recognising multilingualism as a strength in connecting children's home and school experiences. Could you tell us a bit more about that project? Absolutely. So the Lost Worlds project is actually, it's an interesting one because it's an impact project which builds on all my other research. And essentially it's a it's conceptualised as a way of how can we get this out into schools now. And the, the remit is deceptively simple. Um, Lost Worlds builds on the idea of Lost Words, the rather well-known book, book by Rob McFarlane and Jackie Morris. Right, fantastic. Um, yeah. And the idea that from that book is obviously that as we lose the vocabulary to talk about nature, we lose our connection with nature itself. And the Lost Worlds project, the L is in brackets there, is this idea that when pupils, multilingual pupils, lose access to the home language and the home languages aren't supported, they lose an important part of their identity. So as part of the project, we've maintained the nature an environmentalism aspect really and have embedded or developed a whole bunch of activities aimed at primary but actually used in secondary as well that use pupils multilingualism in many different ways there's poetry activities there's stem science um, there's arts-based activities but all of them are coming with with all the resources and lesson plans essentially whether that is um, there's one on Guess the Mini Beast, where you present PowerPoint slides and it gives the mini beasts in other languages and the pupils are asked to develop their language awareness and say, OK, well, if we give you this information and how those translate into English. So in Thai, for example, a caterpillar is a, translates as a butterfly worm. Oh, wow. So on the basis of that information, can pupils then think, actually, I think this means caterpillar. So there's lots and lots of different activities. There's, yeah, there's, there's activities that encourage pupils to write their own poetry um, or simply to access all their languages to, to develop their own learning. And we're hoping that through these activities, we're paving the way for teachers to think of ways in which multilingualism can be really easily integrated without necessarily teaching pupils home languages, but just providing opportunities for all pupils to access the curriculum in as many creative ways as possible, including their home languages. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, recently, climate change has been in the news, hasn't it? Is that something you've looked at with that project yeah, as well? very much so. And in fact, we've got a series of activities that we have curated uh, for COP26. So one of the activities at a higher level is 
called, well, we have two. We have Letters for Change and Posters for Change. And the Posters for Change one encourages children to look at their local community and think about what they would like to change, whether that is essentially, you know, you should recycle more or we've actually got an example activity about checking your bonfire for hedgehogs. Okay. And to then translate that into the various community languages that exist in the school and creating posters for change that can then be displayed. And at a higher level, this takes it one step further and says, okay, what kind of change would you like to see in the world? Who are the people internationally? Um, and can you compose a letter that includes some of the words in the language of the country where you would see that change, like to see it happen? Um, so that's a bit more advanced, but I think the posters for change is one that is a really accessible way of encouraging pupils to think about impact on the environment of the local community and then use their languages as a skill set to drive that change within the community itself. That's amazing. Yeah. And across the globe. I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's brilliant. Um, I know we've got a lot of teachers listening that would love to hear your advice on how to encourage learners to continue using their home language and how that works practically in the classroom. And you've just touched a little bit on it there. Is there anything else they can be doing? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think the first thing that I want to say is in my own research, I've been in classrooms where I've I've explored, I've tried to explore pupils' home languages and just the fact that I was an adult in a formal education context immediately led pupils to think that when I was talking to them about their learning and their reading etc that I would only be interested in English because yeah, that's how the curriculum works that's how they are assessed etc so if there is not already and I know in some schools there is but if there isn't already a strong ethos of encouraging home languages in the school a bit of work I think needs to take place to to really advocate for that and make it very clear and some very simple ways would be to to send letters home to encourage parents to write reading in home languages into the reading diary and then to yeah. praise that in the classroom and say oh I see you've read in Urdu or Punjabi or French or whatever it is and continue to highlight it as a strength we've got a lot of starter activities um which are simply things like how do you say butterfly in your language or what sound does i don't know what what sound does it make when you jump into a puddle like splash so onomatopoeic words so lots and lots of different ways to encourage play with language or when you do things like in primary school I think every child at primary school does a mini beast survey at some point running around school grounds and and simply integrating questions like do you know that in another language so to continually on a daily basis normalize the idea that pupils home languages are valued in the school context i think that's the very first step yeah and then on the back of that yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because it is about this normalising. It's not about othering pupils and only bringing out pupils' home languages for Chinese New Year or, you know, it's it's about encouraging pupils to to know, to feel safe in the knowledge that all their languages are welcome to be used at any time. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, we've got a good following on our Twinkly AL Facebook group, um, teachers asking questions, sharing ideas and advice. 
Uh, it's been really good to see that range of teachers from around the globe sort of sharing those ideas. I know you've worked on a project and successfully created a platform for teachers to share ideas to help immigrant and refugee families. Could you tell us a bit about that project and the impact it's had? Yeah, we've got a, a blog um, for the School of Education, which is actually an online journal. This is for our own students, because at the University of Sheffield, I direct an international postgraduate certificate in education. And this course gets taken by students worldwide. And actually, they teach all sorts of subjects, but most of them teach English. Okay. So what we're encouraging our students is to share the research that they do as part of their program um, and write it up in a more formal way because this means that the student research that is happening certainly in some contexts in the world is is unheard of it's not been done before in that way so it actually paves the way for more teacher research to be shared and to have innovative ideas being given a, a broader platform but also on the Lost World project, we regularly feature the schools that have used the activities and use that as part of our, I guess, our, our way to facilitate impact, to drive examples from schools and through that, illustrate to other schools what might be possible. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think it's amazing when you see other schools using it. Um, you can really see it in action, can't you? Which is excellent. Yeah. Um, and I know you've also been involved in numerous projects with the UK Literacy Association and the Book Trust. Um, how do you think reading impacts uh, multilingual classrooms? Yeah, so I, I convene the Literacy and Multilingualism Special Interest Group for the UK Literacy Association. And anybody who wants to join and is a member of the UKLA is very welcome to, to join and contact me. Fantastic. There's a little plug there. Um, and what we try and do, obviously, again, is, is focus on literacy and multilingualism. As part of my own research, I looked into the reading habits of multilingual children and then on the back of that, um, worked with the National Literacy Trust on integrating some questions around literacy and multilingualism into the annual National Literacy Survey, which many, many of the listeners will know is actually the, the largest survey of its kind yeah. in the country. And last year um during covid the numbers were, were slightly reduced so there were only in quotation marks just over thirty-four thousand children who filled it in and about eleven and a half thousand of those were multilingual and to to get a, a sort of cohesive look at the data we, we looked at the secondary school pupils because there were a lot more secondary school pupils than primary school pupils so we had ten thousand pupils aged 11 to 16 specifically and the findings that, that we got there with the National Literacy Trust, and I should mention Anna Teravainengoff and Christina Clark, who've been working on that project with me um, and were instrumental in, in writing up the report as well. We found that actually multilingual pupils are more likely to read for pleasure than the monolingual pupils wow. of the same age. Um, and also that they're more likely to, to read for information. They're more interested in finding out about other cultures, but also that um, several of the pupils, about 15% uh, of them have been bullied or made fun of because of speaking a language other than English specifically. So there are a lot of, it's, it's a lovely report that's on the National Literacy Trust website. And it shows, I think for the first time really, um, 
data from from this amount of children and helping us to understand their reading habits and yeah. their likes and dislikes but also um about 40 percent of them say that they wish that schools would do more to acknowledge their identity and their multilingualism as a skill set in schools so even if pupils are confident english speakers that isn't to say that the home language couldn't and shouldn't be an important part of their education journey. That's it, yeah, about celebrating their cultural you know, identity, isn't it, definitely in schools. Um, I know you speak sometimes about your son as well, who um, grew up speaking German and English. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that at home and how that, what impact that had on his education? Yeah, of course. I should maybe um, preface that with saying that I'm... Well, I am now British and I have two passports, but I was born in Germany um, and, and I came over here to study and work. So when our son was born, he grew up like many multilingual children speaking two languages in the home. And then when he was four, he decided when school started, which is incidentally a, a sort of crucible, a melting pot, a point for children, school starts and the home language automatically takes a back, seat. a back seat and that was exactly the same for us so interestingly he he actually didn't refuse the language but he asked for a break and that break turned into two years and when he was six he asked whether he could restart German and I was working with multilingual families doing a research project at the time and Toby my son asked whether we could do research together and he wanted to be involved in all aspects for it of it so um we duly put him down as the co-researcher and he was involved in the ethics application and we devised a, a two and a half year autoethnography where we we chronicled documented his fight i'm going to say fight to to regain his german language skills and the sort of emotions and frustrations and successes that we both experienced as part of this and he's now 13 years old and I'm pleased to say that um, so the study finished when he was 10 and we started writing it up at that point and um, it got published just now when he was well just after he turned 13 earlier in the year so there is now a publication with him as co-author where we explore methodologically how families can work with children to understand different attitudes towards the various languages spoken in the household and how you might do that sensitively um, and in a way that empowers children to, to share their views. And Toby was absolutely instrumental in this work. He, he has genuinely co-authored it and he talks about children obviously not wanting to upset parents and how what we did was that we we wrote down our experiences, but then waited a couple of days before we discussed them. And he said that was very useful because, especially when he was younger, it gave him time to think about how he felt and sort of unpick that in his head. So it was a really fun study and a really interesting way of of working with your child. So we've presented that at conferences as well as having the paper out. And I'm really pleased that we had the opportunity to do that. It's so interesting. I mean, you can see it from both sides then, can't you? And you know, children can read it from their point of view and parents and teachers alike. That's really good. Does he see there's a gap in sort of the British education system in, you know, promoting cultural identities and multilingualism? 
I don't want to speak for him. I've yeah. not asked him that, um, and it's not come up. Um, what I do know is that at certain times, him being German has he has viewed it not as an issue but as a concern. So specifically, I remember, and and he won't mind me talking about this because he's spoken about it himself. Um, in year six, the the world wars came up in history, and obviously, being half German, it was actually from the moment he started in year three, there was a junior school, so it was year three through to year six, okay. he knew this would happen in year six and he was concerned that him being half German would would impact on how his peers would view him. Yeah. And I think that, again, is something that we're not necessarily always conscious, um, no matter how how sensitive we are as teachers, that this can actually impact a child several years before it actually happens yeah, in the classroom. Anxiety. So yeah and that can happen with other cultures you know in other languages can't it i guess with other with other themes that are Absolutely. going on in the classroom definitely um you've also focused on teacher professional development as part of your research in the past what cpd do you believe sort of crucial for teachers who have eal learners in their setting do you think there's anything that they should be doing that's important yeah we've we've done a study where we talked to 40 um reception and primary school teachers in england specifically in this case and it is it was really obvious talking to the teachers they were not all eal teachers but obviously um no matter what subject you teach you are likely today to have pupils from various multilingual multicultural backgrounds in your classroom and what became really obvious was that the training varied hugely from from people who were lucky enough to have an entire module as part of the teacher training on this to others who literally had a couple of hours of training and then ended up in a very multilingual multicultural school and just kind of had to make do talking to colleagues etc so I think this is this is through no fault of the teachers. Yeah. I would say that we need to think more strategically about CPD opportunities and teacher training, right? Right yeah, at right the teacher the training point. Yeah, um, to to make that more accessible. And there is there is some fantastic training out there. That, you know, there's there are some amazing organisations like Nate, for example, um, where they are very active. And I think once you're in the job, you you try and access that training and, and real life obviously isn't is never quite what you experience in the classroom. But I think the core thing that I would I would like to try and get through from when we spoke to the to the teachers, there was a lack of confidence, especially from teachers who were not multilingual themselves. Yeah. So they felt they couldn't engage with multilingual pupils because they weren't quite sure about languages per se and that again is something that we're hoping to address with the lost world project to say you don't have to be multilingual no um no you you can absolutely work with multilingual pupils meaningfully even if you've got uh 16 17 different languages in the classroom which is the other thing that i encountered that i think overall teachers who work in environments that are multilingual in a very sort of structured way where you have say a strong polish speaking or arabic speaking community and that is sort of the core language other than english that happens in your classroom there is typically more 
uh, infrastructure in place. Yeah. Because if you know that you've got 50 children in the school, it's it's worth investing in a TA, for example, who might speak that language, etc. Yeah. But there are so many classrooms that have, like I said, 10, 15, 20 different languages happening. And I think a big shout out to the teachers who are in those classrooms every day. Oh, and yeah. I'm hoping that projects like the Lost Worlds Project will help make that journey a little bit easier and a bit more accessible. That's it, yeah. I mean, with Twinkle, we've got a new um, international new arrivals um, category and we've you know, tried to identify and identify sorry, those needs as well. Um, it's definitely something that's becoming more predominant, isn't it, in the classrooms in England now? Yeah. Um, have you got any other advice that you'd like to give um, to teachers out there? Oh, let me think. I think really, if I can if if I can give a plug, and I don't know to what extent there will be links embedded, but the, the Lost Worlds project can be found at multilingualism-in-schools.net. And actually, what we are really hoping is to talk to and work with schools who are using the activity. So this isn't just a, a one-way street. This isn't just a we throw out the activities and we hope schools use them. We are very, very interested to hear directly from teachers and schools and engage with them in more detail. So I'm, I'm very happy to to hear from, from teachers and anybody who would like to talk some more about it. That'd be brilliant. Building that community, isn't it? And that's um, so important, yeah. isn't it, with EAL learners? Uh, well, thank you for coming on our podcast today. Um, it's been amazing to hear about all your research and knowledge of EAL. I'm so happy we've been able to talk to somebody who champions sort of multilingual children and celebrates cultural diversity in the classroom. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. That's okay. Thank you for listening to this recording today. This podcast was brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkly AL. We have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching for Twinkle EAL.